Good evening, travelers of the night. I'm your dungeon master, Wesley, but you can call me Wes. Today, we continue our Dungeons & Dragons campaign, one steeped in immersive audio, exciting storytelling, and with an emphasis on that always-in-character gameplay. Today, we're joined by Shane as Trevor, Ari as Esperanza, Matt as Nihilus, Asteria as Dr. Isadora Glass, and Kyle West as Vander. Without further ado, let's play the intro. Traversing the desolate expanse of the salt wastes, a water stalker, a creed of people whose job it is to find scarce resources. Vander, seasoned and weathered by his many journeys beyond into the salt wastes, with purposeful moves and strides, besides him, a young teen, Abigail, his trainee, struggling slightly to keep up the pace, there are steps less assured on the salt-crusted ground, and besides them both a loyal dog companion, bandit by their side. A sturdy, resilient breed trots alongside, its coat matted with fine salt particles that fill the air, and a custom-made, dog-sized gas mask over its head. The air is as harsh as ever, Vander. The visibility is nearing its lowest point since you've approached the salt wastes yet again. And there seems to be a storm brewing. Yet, there's a pause to that harshness. The wind gusts seem to draw the salt up into the sky, and visibility picks up for a moment. It's almost like when the ocean recedes before a tsunami because you know something big is coming. And with this sudden change in your visibility, Vander, you slow to a halt, causing your trainee as well to stop abruptly. And examining the cracks in the ground, you see signs of mechanical tracks in the salt. Faded, but just noticeable enough to grab your attention leading out to a deeper, uncharted section of the wastes. Shelter is clearly going to be needed, and Abigail, curious, leans in, trying to discern what has caught your attention. Vander? What's that? Now, now hold on. Let me take a look at it. Do I... Do I recognize the tracks at all? Please roll for me an investigation check. It's a natural one. These tracks are unlike anything you've seen before. In fact, you you know you haven't. They don't they don't become as any recognition to you, but what you notice is they bear a similarity to a horse carriage tracks, but there's these thick grooves in each kind of roll of whatever wheel has come through. And you haven't seen something like that before. I don't like the look of this. 
Something's been out here very recently. You told me, Vander, that when the salt goes up, it means there's a storm coming. Is there... is there a storm coming? It seems that way. We need to find shelter soon. I'm gonna send Bandit around, see if he can pick anything up. You and I, we need to be careful. We don't know who's out here. Yeah. All right, one second, let me just... She unzips her bag, pulls out a uh, a strap that goes around her waist that bears the weapons that she keeps on her for times of struggle and clicks it in place. All right. And Bandit runs off kind of into the distance as you give the command and waiting just a short amount of time, Bandit comes back sitting plopped right on the ground in front of you, pointing his nose to the sky with the signal that he's found something. What is it, boy? taught you now. See, but don't be seen. Hear, but don't be heard. There's people out here. They can't be for good reason. Let's trod forward carefully and be on guard. She ducks down, grabs a bandana, and puts it up over her respirator white just like the salt she takes some salt from the ground piles into her hand brushes it into her hair to give it that blending in white appearance as well and she crouches silently walking behind you and bandit and as you follow these tracks it's as if the gusts of wind have revealed something because there's almost like dunes of salt in this area there is a stone bunker, a hatch at the top. And as you approach, there is a sudden vibration underneath. The ground shakes for a moment. And you know in this moment that whether it be people or machines, there's something in the bunker. All right, Abby. Look, you stay behind me now. We don't know what's in there, but it's the best place we have to get out of the storm. So, Bandit and I will go ahead. If it's safe, I'll give you the signal, alright? Alright. And at this point, the salt starts to come back to the ground, but this time coming down like crystals of, of glass. They whip around as the wind starts to pick up a torrent, and... There really isn't much else to do but breach this bunker, and what do you do? Uh, I'm going to give Bandit the signal, and then uh, I'm going to uh, uh, ready my bow in my hand and uh, cautiously approach uh, the entryway to this bunker. I'm looking around for uh, any signs of life or uh, any ambushes being set up. Roll perception. That'd be a natural 20. As you approach the bunker, you notice 
that the salt, as is common, has crystallized around that big metal handle that would open it. But as you jostle it a bit, you take out some specialized tools that I'm sure you have to chip away and release this mechanism. As you go through this process, you start to hear a yelling down below. And you hear, Get back. Everybody get back. And immediately you know that this is, these are people in this bunker in the middle of nowhere. And with that, everybody, there's more than one, in fact, possibly many. All right, boy. Let's do this. And I will quietly, uh, uh, make my way inside. You turn at this handle, having carefully chipped away the salt. No cracking or breaking in this. The well-oiled machine silently turns. And as you open the hatch and look inside, let's go back to an earlier time in this bunker where... We've been trapped here for all but a day so far. And Dr. Glass, Nihilus, and Hypatia Singer currently share a room. The machine room of this bunker where this electrical panel sits. It's almost alien, but not that alien. It's just from a different time, from a different people. Its mechanism is already impressive, considering it's old. The world only has a limited amount of technology, but some very impressive marvels. And Nihilus, this dashboard is filled with notes of all kinds. And finally, after spending hours on end on your end, Dr. Hypatia Singer, who was assisting... Dr. Glass and cleaning up this portion of the room as you had before, as they do now. She says, Oh dear, uh, let me give that a try. I, I'm no expert, but I've been around the mechanical division of the College of Arcane, of the Arcane Void, that is. Mind if I take a look? You're certainly welcome. I, I'm sure I've read about this mechanical devices somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you please, you're welcome to take a look. All right, Dora, watch this. And she cracks her knuckles and sits down, looking at all these notes and at this panel and starts examining it. And Dr. Glass gives a little bit of a crooked smile as she does indeed watch Dr. Singer, who she knows to be incredibly brilliant. So she can't wait to see what she does with this weird computer that Isadora can't make heads or tails of herself. Uh, Nihilus, you put a note here on this large switch. Are you thinking there's something important about it? Well, I'm trying to discern which part exactly is what broke it. I, uh, well, the, the larger the manufacturing decorative of it is, the larger the chances that that could have been broken when it fell down so it's my best guess so far I really have no clue yet I'm afraid huh alright Dora you're going to be my good luck uh 
why don't you pick one of these and I'll disassemble them. And she's pointing to four switches side by side. You see a large one, a small one, and some others. Uh, and flustered for only a moment, she picks up the small one and gives it to her and whispers, uh, you always knew what to do with the littler ones and gives her bardic inspiration. She looks very carefully, even you see her blushing a little bit as she takes this switch and pulls the panel off of it, revealing a rat's nest of cables and, and strange connections. And as she starts digging around inside, she takes a little metal strand that was found in another room and prods it in and you hear some zapping noises and suddenly electric fills this panel as everything starts to light up. There is a screen in front of you. This isn't something you've seen before. Um, it projects an image with just a dot that flashes on and off as if it's expecting something, but who could know what it's expecting? But as that happens, all of the lights in the bunker turn on at the same time. Well, you certainly did something correct. Uh, don't look at me. That was that was the doctor here. It's really not fair, Hattie, you being good at everything. Well, I'm not good at everything. I think I just got lucky. I think somebody was my luck today. Dr. Glass rolls her eyes a little bit. Now, if only we could find a way in order to understand how to communicate with it from a faraway distance. I mean, we can't be stuck here forever. One step at a time. I don't even know what this means. But the lights are on, and that's going to help. That's going to help everybody feel a little more comfortable. Yes, I think comfort is something we need to think a lot about. There's not much of it here. The bodies. Uh, it's not pleasant, but Hypatia, you and I are used to dealing with, well, cadavers. We need to figure out what to do with them, and I think we need to take from them everything they have, every scrap of cloth that we can use to sleep on once we wash it. There's nothing soft at all in this place. We need to create some sort of routine, something tolerable. And then, and she says into Hypatia's mind, you and I should talk about Esperanza. Well, we spoke about bringing the bodies outside. Now, I thought about that some more. And if whoever was here before us comes back, they'll see them and know that something's wrong. I think we should find a way to to seal them up or dispose of them another way. Maybe burning. Wes, there's a like a pantry, right? Where we where did we find the food last time? There's a small pantry, metal shelves and I think I said 20 cans of food with some odds and ends, which when I say odds and ends, I do mean like feel free to improv and say this is what's in there. But did it have like a larder, any place that meat is kept cold? 
interesting question. Um, I think in this place, you would find a curing chest where the chest is laden with with salts and there's old petrified inedible meats in there which you could use how many there are four bodies i think how many would fit with proper care you could probably make it work for all of them splendid uh we'll we'll make that i think plan a yeah, you're absolutely right. We should look towards the others and the comfort of this place. But I, I can be as comfortable as we'd like. We're, we're on limited ends. We need to find a way to communicate communicate with the outside world. I think the work you've done, Nihilus, so far here, and with my help, we'll see what this does. I don't even know if it's a communication machine. But let's start with what we can control. That's this. And that's everybody's morale. Nihilus rolls up his sleeves and, and he says, You all right? Let's get to it. Esper. To some extent, though life has been hard, the system has been hard, you're not an oblivious person. Though maybe people might make assumptions and you find a small room not large enough to sleep a regular person but large enough to sleep you with a little furnace by the side that seems to be powered off and making your way in it's a nice private space and you also are able to Take all of your vials of slow ether and put them to the side. Counted for how many days you think you'll be able to stay here. You've never had Dr. Faust's yellow slow ether. You don't know what to expect, but inevitably, if you're here long enough, you'll have to. So at this point, what is Esper doing or thinking? And just to make sure that I remember, this is the first time I'm secluding myself and still taking regular ether. That's right. Okay. This is a space where you can have private to yourself. Nobody else will sleep here because it's dead space. So you kind of have your own private room. And that is a good thing for Esper because in their mind right now, they've been hearing the talk about divvying the rations. They've you know, it's not lost on Esper that we don't know how long we're going to be here. And for now, at least the week-ish that they've been on this island, it has been about, as they discussed, survival. And this is going to be probably the most raw instance of survival for Esper. When they look at these bottles and they count out one, two, three... That's not much, either. So they know they need to expect withdrawal symptoms are going to arrive. They can feel the weight of Faust's package of files in the pack that 
they're just now swinging off their shoulder. And they can feel it in their mind the way it wavers a little from the hard stance that they did not ever want to take that either. But of course now, it's here. And it could... It could be very bad. But it could help her manage herself in a way that does not intrude so heavily on all of the people stuck here with her. And the closet's the perfect place to do that. They've never had to have withdrawal symptoms around people they would consider themselves somewhat friendly with, or even outright friends with in some cases. So Esper is definitely trying to shield them from it. As you crack the tip of today's dose of slow ether and take it down. There's a candle you set up on one end of this furnace, sitting it right on the flat surface, a little bit elevated off the floor. And you look towards the shadow that's cast on the wall in front of you. And it almost requires a double take because it's as if that gesture of moving your head to turn towards it looked just a little delayed as if you just saw it happen before your eyes but this is also happening while taking a dose of slow ether I think it's it's very average for Esper, who can never seem to fully adjust to what they see out of nowhere. To make that double take and hard focus their eyes on the spot. And, you know, let it sort of begin to ease into their mind. Is it real? Is it not? Is it something that I need to be alarmed by in that single moment of having an immediate freeze response. Determining a threat level. I would say roll an insight check. Here we go. That is a natural four, making it a three. This drug has all sorts of effects, and... You've experienced many of them, and it could just be nothing. It's all right. It's it's okay. It's okay. I can do it. I can do it. It's going to look around, see if there's much else in here to work with. A candle, an empty furnace, the charcoal, none of that is on there. The particular radar, they need something softer and pliable maybe what are you looking for in this case a shield a blindfold anything that could serve as that well there's tattered cloths from old burlap food bags in the corner that will work that will work um she'll she'll shuffle to that space and take out the good doctor the dagger that they got at the whaler hotel and just cut strip away from, you know, whatever is probably long useless in this 
sack. Just kind of double check, make sure that they can tie it or at least put it over their eyes. And then take from their pack the night vision novas, which do still have charge. They haven't used them that much so far on the island. But Esper doesn't know if she wants to use all of that charge here. So she's trying to delay needing it. She will put the novas instead on the top of the furnace and just lean back against the pile of burlap sacks, kind of make herself a little a little burrow if anything, a nest drape the strip of burlap sack across her face and just try to shut it out try and focus on letting her breathing, which had ticked up slightly come back down see if she can just wait out at least this instance and with some deep breaths, that feeling starts to dissipate. You have an appointment with Trevor tomorrow to have him teach you how to swing a sword better. And and you have some more slow ether of the normal variety left. And with that, we'll fade away from the scene. And days go by. We see Trevor after several days of this place being kept clean, taken care of, and as hospitable as possible. At this point, Dr. Glass and Dr. Hypatia Singer and Esper are sharing that original room. The bodies cleverly taken care of into the curing boxes. They won't cause an issue. And with you, Trevor, is Mr. Augie, and Dr. Hypatia Singer. They sit with you in the pantry with not much else to do as you peel open today's can of rations. All right. Um, Cece kind of palms the can in his hand, kind of turning it around slightly, giving a slight toss. You know, I, I would like to uh, make this a little more uh, luxurious a dinner, but um, and kind of shakes it. I don't know how much longer uh, we're going to be here, so um, best make these cans count, right? I hope not much longer, Mister Augie. He started off looking confident or at least unbothered but as the days had gone on his demeanor had started to take a turn for the worse but Dr. Hypatia Singer interjects I'm sure it'll be fine let's see what's the flavor we have today uh let's see we got uh some butter beans here we got uh green beans a lot of beans honestly um Hold on. Let me see. Uh, I, I did find some, like, uh, f- canned fish. Uh, fortunate, unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of them are, uh, they don't keep quite as well as as the veggies, as the beans. So uh, I kind of had to... Uh, Remove them from the uh, the the, primi- the pr- from. I got them out of here. 
Um, sorry if that was uh, something you was looking forward to. No, no. Let's today we're having legumospheres and aquafins. It's one of the new cans, and maybe everybody will enjoy the new flavors. Legubriate. Just say legumes. Okay. Uh, if if people hear beans one more time, I think we'll have a riot on our hands. Y- yes, yes, ma'am. Uh, all right. Uh, legumes, it is uh, sh- a smorgasbord of legumes for all. Uh, not too much of a, of a smorgasbord. Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna get this stuff prepped. Yep, another can, another day, another can, another day until we're out. And then it's over for us. Uh, no, we'll be fine. I'm sorry, I I don't know what came over me. I get it, right? Like, there was a way that I could, like, just, like, cover up my mouth and, and head on out. I, I, I do that in a heartbeat, you know? Uh, we'll find a way out. I, I'm sure we will. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And somebody knows we're here. Even if it's not the people we want to know we're here, somebody does. Somebody knows we're here. And he steps out of the room and closes it behind him. You see him tearing up. I'm I'm sure he'll be okay. I just gotta give him like a give him a day or something or like you know warm meal do a body good when times get tough you know he'll be okay I brought a pack of cards for dinner tonight and she pulls it out of her pocket you know fans through them figured I could teach some games to everybody oh damn yeah used to do that all the time with the black bulls as a matter of fact actually Dr. Glass is pretty good at cards herself oh believe me I know. She's swindled me out of more silver than I can count. Hmm. And, uh, maybe this will be easier than I thought. And he kind of gives a bit of a wry smile. She smiles back and puts her hand on your shoulder before leaving and turning back towards her room where Dr. Glass is. And we'll let a few more days pass by. At this point, it's five, maybe six days in this bunker. Not much has changed, except there's been some progress on the panel. We now have a switch that turns the lights on and off, so we can have them off in the evening, uh, thanks to Nihilus Von Stonen in collaboration with Dr. Hypatia Singer. And Nihilus, you sit at this panel. Every day that goes by is another day that another ration is depleted, and the urgency of figuring out this device only builds. The tension, I'm sure, at this point can be felt in your temples. You, the sleeplessness, because every minute counts. And finally, Father Patrick steps in. I hope I'm not interrupting. Um, I've got to get this circuit figured. <sighs> Um, I might as well can't figure it out anyways uh, no you're, you're not troubling how, how are you it's alright 
I'm fine. I've been fine. I noticed that this seems to be taking a toll on you. And though I know there's pressure, I figured we could turn our attention elsewhere for a while. Maybe get our minds off of these wires and cogs. Are you sure? I I feel like I'm so close yet. Uh, Yeah, you probably know best. Fine. And he kind of gets up from a position of... Wipes away some dirt off his clothing and... You had a walk in mind around the block, or? <laughs> uh, well, not quite that. Uh, I figured I could teach you something new. Oh? Now's a good time as ever to learn. That's always been my mantra. You never know what actually. tomorrow holds. <laughs> you sly dog. I remember you telling me once you taught me everything. Keeping a few old tricks on, do you? I would never teach you everything, then you wouldn't need me anymore. Mr. Stone. <laughs> I would always need you, Father Patrick. Well, why don't we take a look here? And he pulls out a an old book. You know, it opens a little bit dusty, and you recognize this as a spell book. Uh, Father Patrick, perhaps in a past life, did study in the arcane, and though it doesn't get much use as he opens it, He opens to a particular page. Take a look, Nihilus. You see these symbols. See how they vary from page to page, but yet have some such glaring similarity as he fans through. This is quite an old design of a spell in the making. It is finished yet incomplete at the same time. What does it do? Well, as an inquisitor, you're not like every other priest. There are some who will more closely communicate with Saurus. That's the path I took later on in life. But as an inquisitor, it's important to also know how to fight for Saurus. And all of these are variations on very common yet simple spells. Some call them cantrips. In my case, I just like to call them tricks. <laughs> and at this point, he's literally teaching you cantrip formulas as he starts tracing over these patterns and how you can put one over the other to make subtle changes in what spells you're trying to craft from scratch. Nihilus, who, as an inquisitor, you have to you have to study for it. You have to learn. There's this. It's like a new way of learning math. It's literally uh, this. The world is opening up. He loves having, feeling of Father Patrick teaching him some old tricks again. But then he starts to realize, well, oh my, this I could actually learn some things or do from this. You're not joking. These are not tricks. These are actually helpful spells. <laughs> Give that to you, you old bugger. <laughs> well. And at this point, a few hours goes by. It's already late, and it's kind of the time where you probably would, at this point, get some sleep, lest to be unproductive in even figuring anything out. Nihilus, I know that this is important, and I don't want to overshadow its importance, but we don't know what the future holds for us. And if you continue banging your head against this, you're going to hurt yourself, and you won't be as useful the next day, so... Take this to bed, read over these tricks I've just showed you, and get some rest for tomorrow. 
I will, I will. You're all right. It's just sometimes when I look at people, their faces, and they might not say it, but you know they really don't want to be here. And if I feel like I could prevent that awful feeling with just my second alone. I wish I could make it sooner, but you're all right. It's counterproductive to work for long strains of hours. I'll try to get some rest. You do as well. Of course. And as he steps out, you also see as Dr. Hypatia Singer is walking from her room to the main area, as we go somewhere else, and Dr. Singer walks up in a more silent little corner of this bunker. There's not much privacy. And to Trevor and says, Trevor, dear, did I tell you how grateful I am for protecting my my Izzy? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, it weren't nothing, you know. It was just uh, it was a professional uh, courtesy, I, I, I guess. I, I mean, I, I'm grateful to her too. You know, I was just coming into the Seagate, and, and I didn't have nowhere to be, so uh, she was actually pretty nice, you know, helping a, a little old lady with her chores. A small price to pay for a roof over my head, right? So. <laughs> Of course. But it's appreciated. And she puts her hand on your arm and says, And I really do mean it. Now, the other day, you had said you wanted to speak to me. Uh, what's this about? How can I help? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um... I, I, I mean, if you, if you ain't busy, uh... I'll have to squeeze you in between appointments, Trevor, but I think I'll try to make some time. <laughs> That's a that's a good one. Um uh okay. Um maybe be better if we did this in like a like a like a private room or something. How about the pantry? If it's good enough for some bodies, it's probably good enough for us. And she starts walking ahead of you. Uh, oh, she's she's good. Um he's going to start following her into the pantry the door closes behind she reaches all the way to the back of the shelf and in a place that's kind of tucked behind the creative bodies and just out of sight and she pulls out a bottle about as big as a thumb it's minuscule but it's clearly a small bottle of liquor and she cracks the the seal open I have no idea where this is from or how old it is. Let's find out. And she swigs half of it and hands it to you. Woo! Oh, mama. Um, just kind of gives a little a bit of a shrug. You can see he's reaching down. He's like playing with his uh, wedding ring slightly. Um, and he kind of reaches, grabs the bottle. Uh, and he will go... Yeah, I think I'm going to need this. Uh, and he's going to chug the the rest of the bottle. It's potent. It's very potent. Um, it, it does the job, that's for sure. All right, now that's out of the way. What was it? Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, okay. Uh, so I, I figured you'd be the best uh, person to talk about to talk to you about this um when you was talking with uh 
Dr. Glass uh, back at the university, um, I, I went and uh, went to the, 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 the medical wing, right? Uh, I, I was talking to um, Stu- Argus Stewart. That was his name. Um, he, I had a uh, a thing. It, it'd be a lot easier if I just showed you, but I want to. I want to warn you before I do that. Um, I, I, I've gone to a bunch of different doctors, and and they've all kind of said the same thing that they never seen nothing like this, and that, that included. Stuart, so um, I want you to know that the only reason I'm showing this to you is is because you're a friend of the doctors, the other doc, Dr. Glass. Um, and so I, I figure you're, you're like a friend to me, so... Um, oh, Trevor, get on with it. I've seen thousands of cadavers. There's nothing that you can scare me. Dr. Stewart said that too. He's very slowly going to uh, shimmy off his work coat. And uh, gonna take off his shirt and with a lot less um, trepidation. He seems to be a bit more like comfortable isn't the word but forthright. Um, he's becoming more and more realistic about his chances and in this place it's only gotten worse as he takes off his shirt and uh, reveals the bandages he goes they uh, they call it a uh, a coroner hema they used a lot of big words for it I'll let you Take off the bandages if you want, but I'm going to warn you and just tell you up front. I don't know how I'm alive, but I don't have a heart. She takes the bandage and does just a few gentle unwraps, not unwrapping the whole thing, just to see. And you hear, oh, Trevor. And there's some contemplation before she continues. I know the problem. You have a hole in your chest. And she smiles lightly and bandages you back up. (coughs) Gee, thanks. What do I owe you, Doc? Oh, just several hours of consultation and fees. (laughs) No. Look, I think I understand. And I'm sure that Dr. Argus Stewart had a much more professional opinion, but it seems like things are are slowing down for you is that right yeah yeah um Stuart said uh well Stuart didn't say I was uh told by the person by the the thing that did this to me how long I had uh back with Stuart it was about two and a half months thereabouts 
That's about how long I have. Well, you're here among friends and Lord Felix Royce and Mr. Augie, though I think he's a nice guy. Um, what I'm saying is, is there anything you need to do you regret? Because it seems to me that here's a good as place of, as any to spend some of your time. She gestures to her cards and the cans, though it's no whale or hotel. I, I appreciate how good you're being to me. Not a lot of the uh, healers did that. Um, I, I guess, you know, this happened a while ago, a very, very long time ago, years there was a time where I'd be counting down the days until I died and there was a time where I just didn't want to think about it anymore and so I just stopped I just thought hey you know I'd rather be snuck up on by death than to be constantly dreading it uh, but uh, now that it's so close I feel like I made a big mistake what's that? Doctor, I, I got a daughter back home. She was, um, she was a few months old when it happened. I've only seen her a handful of times. Um, she's probably, you know, up to my knee at this point, walking around. I don't know, though. And... The longer I spend in here, I mean, I knew I weren't ever going to get a chance to see her again. I can't quite make peace with that, but I can look at reality and just say that's what it is. But, uh, if there's uh, any bit of unfinished business... Uh, he kind of reaches into his bag and he pulls out a, a pretty heavy coin purse. He goes, I, I weren't able to be the father that, that she needs, but um, he kind of puts it on the table, kind of like a heavy thunk. That um, these past years I've been trying to build that up trying to make it seem all worthwhile uh, and then when when my time finally ran out I, I get a courier to bring it back to Beale give her her I suppose it's her uh, inheritance give her the opportunity for a good school good job good life make better choices than I make you know Trevor if she has your blood she is going to be a great person and I don't know this for sure but I'm sure those coins will make it back to her 
In fact, I'll make sure of it. Especially if we find our way out of this mess. I'm glad you think so. Uh, But, you know, don't make judgment calls about me when, when you just met me. You know? You're right. She taps you on the shoulder. You seem like a proper asshole. There we go. That's what I was fishing for. Thank you. When when Dr. Stewart was talking about it, he, he made a lot of, like, big words, scientific words. Um, but he came to the conclusion that what I have isn't medically possible. Um, so, I figured that maybe it had something to do with magic. I figured... This was the place where the big magic stuff was happening. And I heard from Dr. Glass that Blackthorn was was on the cutting edge. And then you you start shooting the shit about uh, consonance points, about about nexus bound, about uh, the void, uh, fathoming, whatever. Um, Maybe this is a place where that stuff could be understood but I'm slowly I don't know if I've got time to figure out what's wrong with me and what I can do about it if I could even do that in here in here it just feels like my time's running out faster and faster and uh, I, I, I don't like to talk about it that's why that's why I ain't been talking about it Well, know that even Mr. August Stewart is just a surgeon, and I am just another doctor, and you have something nobody has seen before. So, whether he says two and a half months or not, I think you'll be the first to know when time is running close. And until then... Maybe don't think about it so much and just enjoy the time you have. And I have a game of cards to teach to an entire bunker. She holds up the deck and waves it around. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. He kind of starts to start redressing his chest. It's a practiced movement. Uh you think uh, if I do end up picking the bucket, they'll end up naming the disease after me? We'll call it the disease of the heartless. Though I think you're quite the opposite of that. And she reaches back behind the shelf and pulls out one more of these and she says, the last one. Uh, nobody knows it's here. Only me. And it's my secret to give. And she hands it over to you. Appreciate it, Doc. <laughs> kind of raises it in a toast. To, uh, to legacy, I guess. <laughs> you never know the shape it'll take. Never indeed. And and don't tell Dr. Glass especially. She'll kill me if she knows I didn't even save her one bottle. And she walks by you and gives you a wink as she walks out into the main floor. <sighs> gives a bit of a sigh. Rubs the back of his head a little bit. Pockets the bottle. 
goes out. Dr. Glass, you're in a room, in the back room. Uh, It's been about just over a week in this bunker. And before you, in the center of the floor that's been surgically prepared, is what looks to be an organ that is starting to get dried up. This is the organ from the Whaler Hotel that you salvaged from a beast that was slayed by the hands of Mr. Nihilus von Stonen, but also everybody. And Dr. Singer sits over it. Mr. Augie sits over it. Uh, even Father Patrick is kind of standing in the corner of the room. You see Nihilus on the other corner, and they're both looking down. Dora? What am I looking at? And by this point, Hypatia has been filled in on a lot. Everything up through the death of Dr. Beering. Nothing past that. Nothing to do with Eirik uh, or the testimonium as it relates to Nexus Bound. But Izzy's powers, the perhaps... Perhaps she forgot to talk about the beast at the whaler, uh, or it was only touched on, but she talked about Dr. Buring's organ, certainly. So she now says, Hypatia, this, this is the organ, the primary psychic organ from a beast that played with our minds and sucked us into a shared hallucination. An organ such as this was harvested and attached to the late Dr. Buring to give him related powers. I don't know if they were exactly the same I'd I'm hoping to find out more and Wes where is Felix and has he been just moping in a corner this whole time or has he been engaging Felix of all people here has been Maybe not moping in a corner, but he has been isolated from the rest. He arrives to grab the ration, and he heads back. He has used the leftover metal sheets to build just a divider uh, in one little section of the room so he can sit behind it, though there's no privacy. You can step around the edge and look in as he, most of the time, is just sitting back against the wall, head leaning back and eyes closed. So... I can't see him. I don't like I have a sense of where he is, but I don't have eyes on him. Do I have a sense of whether he can hear me? You know he is clever and powerful enough to do so if he wants to, and that would have always been the case here. And you know with relative certainty he is in his spot in the same position in the other room as he always is. But just in terms of normal voices caring, like if he didn't want to hear me, would my voice carry to where he is? 
In terms of voices carrying, no, you'd be able to, to you know, to, to speak quietly enough where he wouldn't audibly hear you with his ears. Thanks. Then I don't have to think too much about how that changes the calculus of this. Uh, and uh, Mr. Augie, do I have a sense of, is he just kind of around, like he's interested, and or do I have a sense of him having any skills or knowledge? As you glance back at him in this moment, he shrugs, and he strikes you as a worker drone. You know, he, he has a responsibility. He does his responsibility. He probably goes home and gets plastered. He seems like the type. And he looks over. Um, I, is this a private thing? I, I just wanted to see whatever that was. Oh, right. And he worked adjacent to medicine. I just, I forgot. Mm -hmm. She now remembers who he is. I think Dr. Glass forgets he exists when he leaves the room. Uh, and she says, no, of course, that's that's just fine. Uh, and she kind of gets into, like, a teaching hospital mode. Uh, so what we have here is a necropsy, that, or a partial necropsy, obviously, that we'll be conducting. Uh, one of our cu great curiosities is whether powers such as mine and she's not even keeping a secret from anyone in the bunker anymore powers whether powers such as mine have a physical apparatus in the brain i unfortunately wasn't never mind and she glances very briefly towards wherever esper is not wanting to mention iric but we have this here so we're going to very carefully dissect it. Uh, Dr. Singera and I are going to take turns. She is by far the more adept surgeon, but I am more versed in the question at hand. So uh, we're going to take turns. Uh, Nihilus, if you would perhaps take notes and be on hand in case anything goes wrong. He flicks his wrist and with a magical sense suddenly a pen appears in his hand and says, on it. And Nihilus, thank you as always for creating water for us every day so we could clean all of this and thank you Hypatia generally for your career long discoveries in the science of antiseptics. It's my honor to be here, as she goes around as if she's in a grand lecture hall and waves to everybody. Shall we begin? Please roll a medicine check, and Dr. Hypatia Singer will also roll a medicine check. And could I perhaps get guidance from one of the the holy men in our midst? Nihilus is writing. I don't know what the Holy Father, holy Father Patrick decides. Father Patrick will give you guidance. Dr. Hypatia Singer has a 23... Perfect. That is a 17 medicine for me. Okay. She is the more active, actual medical doctor. The attention in the room seems almost tense as it as everybody watches Dr. Singer take a makeshift blade and slowly go in to make a first incision into this organ. It's already dried a considerable amount, but still rubbery, almost like a liver. And 
as she peels away that outer layer of skin and folds it open almost like a butterfly and then incises a little deeper in parting away the meat of this organ Dr. Glass you notice not anything interesting in its appearance it's a dense rubbery piece of flesh but what you do notice is in your ever present kind of surrounding of psychology your ability to reach out to people this organ serves like a dark hole in the ground your thoughts cast out seem to be able to sink into it like a void they just go deeper and deeper it almost sponges them and that's the interesting thing that's revealed about this is it has some property that absorbs those or subsumes those psychic energies. I don't know, Dr. Glass. It's just a piece of meat to me. I mean, yes, the capillaries here are, are interesting, but uh, it looks just like any other liver I've seen. Could you remind me, I don't know if she knew actually, what part of the beast it was attached to? All the way back in its like inner body, this organ kind of stretched from the center and connected via connective tissue to its single red eye. And Dr. Beering was connected to his head vaguely, but I suppose we didn't have a chance to know more than that, did we? Yep, he connected it to his head. It was hanging out of his scalp, grafted on, and his body at the time had been laying in this bed for years. It had sunken in with flesh folds going over, and so did this organ rest comfortably on a pillow next to his head. It was large, maybe the size of a forearm. And this is not as large, or? It was the same when you got it, but it has now shriveled, dried up. Do I see now or remember from when I first gathered it anything that like a stalk or perhaps large nerve from the connection? The place where it was severed from the beast seems to distribute into these little strands. It's almost like a cable that's been severed. It's clearly a main nerve that goes to its oculus, its single red eye. I'd like to... I'm not going to put up detect magic, because in my experience so far, none of this stuff has pinged on detect magic. But I would like to put up detect thoughts. Uh, even though it's dead. You know, it lasts... Well, only a minute. Uh just kind of to see what happens since it feels still spongy subsumey of thoughts um you cast detect thoughts and channel it towards this organ and what's interesting is when you get psychic energy from somebody you feel it you know it's it's like a thought being captured in your net your web and you you've you've, you've basically intercepted and in this case, it almost feels like like you're just catching dust in the air. Like a leaf flows by and you can catch that leaf. It's inanimate. It's, it's not alive. But yet 
you hear in your head. Yes, Harlan Usher, uh, please take me to my room. You hear, and then we had gone to the party, and it was a blast. We had all sorts of fun on the dance floor, and they just come as fleeting little memories that are inanimate, that clearly come from nothing, and fade away almost as quickly as you catch them. Uh, while she's got detect thoughts up, she'd like to poke various parts of the organ, just sort of see if she triggers reflexive uh, thought responses. Roll a medicine check with advantage. That's a 24 on medicine. You're able to identify these spaces in its make where, where the thoughts don't just fall into an endless cavern, but they catch. And as you touch these points where the thoughts prod like kneels at this organ, everybody sees as the organ starts to tense, become rigid, kind of like a, a, uh, rigor mortis style of, of shake that it does. And you feel this, this, latent echo of screams of the, almost of the of the past that that echo through your mind but it doesn't cast as a as a direct prod you feel that it emanated everywhere and in this moment you hear from across the bunker Dr. Glass and Lord Felix Royst bursts open the door for the first time Interacting directly. What did you do? Sorry if our experiments got a bit loud there, Felix. I promise that the results will be interesting to you as well. Uh, while you're up, could you turn off the lights to this room? I have another phase to conduct. Fine. Don't do it again. I'm trying to concentrate. And he goes out, closes the door, and after a few seconds, the lights go out. I'm not really sure what else to do with just this. It's not really living tissue anymore. I'm, we're very lucky that I'm getting these echoes. It's, it's it's just fascinating. The tissue isn't at all brain-like. But perhaps... It's given us ideas of stimuli we can apply to me. I I don't know. This has been very good work for today, certainly. Thank you, everyone. Nihilus puts down his testimony in Veritas notebook for now, and he just shouts out a question in the wild. Well, would it even be possible to well, put it back alive? It can be possibly used for long-distance messages. Just just a wild idea. Uh, you're the expert on that, I'm afraid. Actually, perhaps I'm the expert on that. Uh, typically, if you wish to revive somebody, there are high clerics in the testimonium who can do so. Though, it's a rare gift. But those who have performed this miracle have expressed to me that it needs to have a soul. And I don't think this organ has any such thing. Excellent idea, Nihilus. I hadn't even considered that it might be useful in our current situation. That is what Buring used it for, after all. 
you know, I can communicate within a room, but Buring was transporting his own mind across the entire island. I don't have any idea if he had abilities like mine before this. I, uh, I don't know. I just don't know. We'll have to think on it. Days have gone by, and the slow ether, besides the diminishing supply, you've noticed this little by little, but something about today seems to be more apparent that the effect is not the same as it was. That floating translucent ethereal feeling is ever more fleeting it comes and it goes and you feel like it's just not enough but that doesn't matter because you still have some left this is however not the regular slow ether that you were given for this trip. It's a new set. A yellow-tinted color in a similar vial given to you by Dr. Faust. And in taking slow ether each day, the one feeling you can't shake is whenever you take it, that shadow on the wall it it's not like there's anything weird about it it just it's watching you while you do it it sees you taking this slow ether and it sees you holding in your hand Dr. Faust's dose Esper is now, as it has become the regular but unwanted company in this closet, Esper comes to instead seem to face it a little more head-on. There's no... The burlap sack cloth has been discarded, at least in today. And they are staring, indignant at this shadow, holding this dose in their hand. I don't need any of your judgment. Do you understand me? If I don't take any... If I don't take any, it will only get worse. And I will... I will get worse. They're going to see me worse. It won't be good. I don't want to take it. I don't want to have to take it. It's poison. Especially when it comes from him. But... But it's... It's all I have right now. It's, it's all I have. 
Raise the file up, crush the bead, and gulp it down as if it is a regular dose of slow ether. The feeling of it flowing down your throat is like a fiery pleasure. It's smooth and it's comfortable and it's like being embraced in the arms of your mother and father all at the same time. You're being held in a warm, comfortable, safe environment. Everything's warm, just a little bit blurry. And as some time goes by, that original heat starts to dissipate. And the shadow, it it grows larger on the wall, as if you moved closer to the light, but you're not. You're stationary. It grows and grows until it beseeches the ceiling above you, its head looking down at you like you are this small creature, this tiny ant in a fathomless void of space. And the panic that I'm sure it elicits mixes with an immediate dark and dreamless sleep. In our our consideration here, we will take one more step into the future. It's been nearing on two weeks and rations are nearing their end. As Trevor, again, you look into the pantry, you see there's three cans remaining. You grab one of them, take it into the main room to open. Does a standard kind of procedure, just taking the lid off, draining any excess liquid from the cans... Looking, I mean, it's probably like half a cup of anything edible for each person. He just kind of gives a sigh and gets to work boiling a pot of water to start to prepare them. As he does that, he starts to like put the pot on and wait for it to boil. Um, I think he's going to. Uh, go into like uh, a common area where where everyone else uh, might be. Trevor, mm. for the first time, you are addressed directly by Mister Royce, who stands and walks out of his encasement. Uh, yeah. I'm taking three of those rations today. <laughs> That's a good joke. It's no joke. He walks over and he's about to take them. Hey, wait a second. What you doing, huh? He's gonna go and kind of like jog his way up to him. We're not all going to survive this. And if I'm going to get us help, I need the energy. I'm taking them. And he is going to walk by you. Like hell you... Listen, man. All right? 
You don't get to just walk in here and act like you own the place just because you're some smartass. He's, he's going to try and walk up in front of him like, listen, man. All right. I get it. I get it. People got to go out there. Something's got to happen or else we're going to die. Can you just fucking listen to me for two seconds? You have two seconds. I'm dying. I got maybe... I got maybe a month and a half before I'm gone. That's whether or not I... like Whether I get out of this place or not, that's what's going to happen. He yells past you. Dr. Glass! Almost like summoning you like an entitled lord from your room. What's going on out here? Trevor, what, what's happening? You didn't tell anybody your bodyguard was dead. Why is he eating our rations? Dying ain't dead. We could survive another day. Nobody here is dead. Not even me. Though people often make that mistake. This man has three months to live, he said. What is one day? One less mouth to feed. We survive a few days longer. Maybe we find our way out of here. Think. And he looks around. He's looking at everybody. Mr. Augie. Father Patrick. Everybody. Think. All of you need to think how we survived this. I am thinking, Felix. For the first time in my fucking life, I'm thinking. All right? Just, if you've got your head out of your ass, maybe you'd fucking listen to me. All right? I, what I said was the truth. I'm dying. That's just what's happening. All right? So if anyone is going to go out there with the dangers that is out there, all the salt and whatnot, it's got to be the person who's got the least left to lose, right? Let go. Go. Save us. He looks at a piece of cloth on the ground. Might get a little farther with that. All right. All right. Calm down a moment. And she looks into Felix's eyes. And Trevor can probably guess that she's speaking into his mind. From the small bits of commotion going on, Nihilus goes from intrigue to curious to walking over, but not saying anything yet, but just watching from a distance. Fine. He, he turns around and walks back to his shed and sits down as if nothing happened. <sighs> Whatever. I don't know what y'all said, but if you, and even as he's turning to walk away, says, if you pull shit like that again, start thinking you know what's best for all of us, I promise you, you will know intimately well what the difference between dead and dying is. And, uh, Dr. Glass just gently pulls Trevor a little bit further into the pantry and says, you've been doing a really excellent job at something very difficult, Trevor. Keeping in charge of these rations. Only you could have held that position this long. 
uh, people respect you. I don't know if you appreciate that. I know this is very difficult. And Felix is, you know, he's, I don't have to explain what he's like. Uh, just try to let me handle him if you can. It's only going to get worse, Doc. I know. We gotta do something. Like what? <sighs> we gotta go for help. We gotta send somebody, right? Could be the difference between one of us dying and all of us. Perhaps. I... I just don't... I just don't know. I just... I don't want it to be you, Trevor. I don't want it to be me either. Sometimes we don't get to... Sometimes we don't get to choose the answers ourselves. I'll talk with Hypatia and, and Nihilus. We'll... We'll think of, of something for soon, for almost now, either with the computers or we still have the... We've been sleeping on those leather armor mats. Maybe we can fashion something. We'll... I'm, I'm going to give you one more day, Doctor. The rations are running out. And if they do run out before I go... Even if I do find someone, they ain't going to be able to come back and get y'all before you. You know. And she looks up at him. And she looks tired, like a little strung out. Uh, and she looks a little surprised that he's giving her an ultimatum, not in a bad way, but she recognizes the gravity of that. All right, Trevor. Thank you. A another long day goes by. The night especially feels longer. Lord Felix Royce is no longer sitting in his spot, but he stands just outside of his spot, leaning his head back against the wall with his eyes closed as always, but visible to the room. Looming. And after this time, Nihilus, this circuit board that you've been working on seems to have full power, yet that blinking dot still eludes you. No switch or knob seems to do anything except for the ones that power the lights. Dot continues to blink. And come another tension-filled day. Silence befalls everybody. Mr. Augie sits in his corner. Lord Felix Roy standing against the wall. Father Patrick sitting patiently 
And let's not forget about Ken, who who has all this time been as helpful as he could be. And in this tension, he continues to lend a hand to anybody who would ask for it. And this time, you are on the second to last can, Trevor, as you approach the closet. Trevor's like, you can tell the past few weeks have affected how he looks physically. He has lost a lot of weight. Um, and you can see now just like his clothes are a lot baggier as he goes to open up the pantry um, and tries to get the last can. The intention is uh, he's going to start halving his portions um, and then he's just going to try and subsist off of controlling his breathing and he's going to at least to some extent throughout the day after preparing the meal um, engage in deep meditation to try and prolong his life for as long as he can uh, off as little as he needs so that everyone else can get at least somewhat of a filling meal for the day the meals are passed out and they're taken. Lord Felix Royce takes his portion. But this time, again, not staying silent while he takes it. You know, that last can is mine, right? Tomorrow. But don't worry. You have all the cured meat that you could want. Felix. I'm not going to be the first to dig into that crate. You can. I ain't going to be doing that. He kind of just says under his breath. He's going to leave the plate or whatever vessel over at Felix. And he's just going to start to slowly make his way. Uh... He's going to slowly start to take off his shirt as he walks towards the doctor. So, any uh, any other plans that don't involve me? She just, she looks furious. She's staring at Felix. Her hands are almost shaking around the tin cup of water she's holding. She says... What is it you've been concentrating on, Felix? Pray tell. I'd rather not. Hope you understand. And what if I don't? You'll kill me, I assume. Hmm. Let's see, with the the lot of you, I could probably make it several months here, but I'd have to keep the priest alive. He's the one who makes the water. And that's your plan? Just take the last can of beans so you can sit here longer? I'm working on something. I'll have our way out. And if you survive, you can join me. But if I can't, then 
judging by your progress on our glorified light switch, then we all die. So I think it's best we keep me alive first. That's my conclusion. And as she is wont when she is at her last nerve, she tosses her cup of water against the wall. And if maybe if you'd spoken to any of us in the past few weeks, we could have helped you with whatever this plan was of yours, Felix. But now you've doomed yourself, just like the rest of us. Are you proud? Are you proud to be an island? A man unto yourself? He grimaces as he walks towards the center of the room. I'm just doing what it takes to survive. Which, if none of you are going to look towards those crates, then you don't have the stomach for it. And he's going to walk into the pantry and take the last can. I'd think the meat in the crates would suit you well, Felix. Holding this can, he steps out and says, Oh, I will inevitably, but I won't be the first. And this display of of wanton nobility-like power. He, holding the can, brushes past Nihilus von Stonen and Trevor as he walks back to his spot. Nihilus, based against the wall, is crouching down. He has a head on his... He has a hand on his forehead, not even reacting to it. He's murmuring to himself, often in prayer, but... Upon listening a bit closer, he's just murmuring about if, if, if I could create an amphibious creature, I could mark it. We could make a run for it. We could run. No, we would only have 15 seconds. Flash. How many miles are we? How far are we? And he's starting to get crazy. It is after weeks of already knowing, already weeks of looking at that dot and probably already knowing on day two it is merely a receiver he he tried his best to keep everything up in good appearances trying to keep the spirits up trying to pray fetching everyone water and tea it's, it's all been a bit of a hoax really and now he's starting to get desperate he's, he's shaking a bit he's twirling he's trying to come to a solution and he's just not paying attention to the socials happening around him uh, um, Trevor, who's looking over at uh, Nihilus, kind of unraveling, um, is going to turn his attention back over to the doctor. Just say, I don't think I'm going to leave today. Because I don't think I can trust Felix alone with all of you. Um, I know you guys got history. You was like something resembling friends. I don't know. I thought so, yes. He don't care about us. He'd be fine with all of us dropping dead if it meant he got to walk out of here. We should... And I know you... You probably... Ain't gonna like this, but we should probably think about doing something while we still got strength. I know. Somehow I'm lucky enough to be shut down here with the two people who walked away from me. 
and she turns invisible. Not again. And Hypatia Singer, who always keeps her uh, spirits lifted, uh, turns towards the back room and walks away as Mr. Augie steps forward. Now, wait a minute. That's not fair. I've been sitting here this whole time, and if I'm going to be dying here today, then you should have to suffer along with me, pointing towards Lord Felix Royce in the center of the room. Man makes a point. Suffer. Yes, I'm suffering, but you don't know what suffering is. As he steps two steps towards the center, looking directly into Mr. Augie's eyes. And you see, Dr. Glass, you can notice this. There's something psychic happening here. His intention is so squarely focused. And then you start to hear, no, no, no. Hey, no. Can I use Mate Chandle I'm Invisible to just poke Felix in the eye to, like, interrupt whatever he's doing? Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's a thing. It's also kind of a called shot, and Mage Hand really isn't meant for that. Uh, but it, it, by the time you think of that, he lets, lets go, and Mr. Augie kind of drops to the floor. All of a sudden, he's silent, and Lord Felix Royce looks up, and that's just a taste. So, you should all just stay in your place. Hey! You want some too? I get it. Alright, you're pissed. He's pissed, we're all pissed. Alright? Just because you got fucking mind things going on, don't make you better than me. Don't make you better than him. We're all in the shit. Let's fucking deal with it together. And he's gonna give him a fucking shove. You shove him back as Ken joins in yeah that's right and and he like kind of proceeds back because he's not a strong strong guy in terms of like being able to fight um father patrick in the corner well i mean he's got a point please roll a wisdom saving throw okay uh wisdom save huh that's neat that's an at one. He looks towards you, and as you shove him, he stumbles back, hits the wall. He looks at you square in the eye, drilling his, his consciousness into you, and you're shoved back 15 feet in the room, three times the amount that you shoved him. And he starts yelling, Stay back! Stay back, all of you! And Vander... At this point, you have opened the hatch and see as Lord Felix Royce steps into the center, holding a can of beans and pointing at everybody and telling them to stay back. Who the hell are you? He looks up. Oh my god, we're saved, Mr. Augie. And then you hear from the side, uh, well, that couldn't have come soon enough from Ken. And my prayers have been answered. Looks like I'm a little late to the party here. What the hell's going on? Inside this bunker, there's a stillness to the air, yet it's clean. It's been lived in. The air continues to be musty and stale. It feels damp on the inside. Humidity from, like, the body heat. And even in the cleaning, you can't absolve of that cumulative, like, sweat. 
there is a semblance of these people have been here for a while. Um, looking around, um, Vander was not expecting to see anybody in this place. Uh, what exactly? Give me a layout of what I'm what I'm seeing here. The people-wise, like just general feel. Judging by the scene where you see Dr. Hypatia Singer, a doctor who's a little bit meek and small, step into the light. You see some people, Father Patrick, an elderly priest. You see Nihilus von Stonen, a younger-looking priest, more like an inquisitor. Trevor, Lord Felix Royce. And there's somebody I'm missing. Oh, and Mr. Augie. And as well, no, you do not see Esper. Esper has all this time been hidden away in one of the side rooms, a small broom closet she found for herself. And and if anybody were to go check on her, she would have, well, you know, shouted at you to leave. She's not taking any guests. And and it's clear that you're looking at people who have been stranded. And. I, I imagine that with the shove from Royce, uh, Trevor is currently like knocks on his ass, kind of doubled over, almost fetal position, just hacking up a lung on the floor as this is happening. All right, all right, all right. Look, I don't know who the hell you people are or what the hell you're doing here, but uh, there's a hell of a storm going on outside and. Well, look, I, I need a place to stay for the evening. So if you don't mind, uh, myself and my companions, we're going to crash here tonight, if that's okay with you. Uh, he's heavily dressed uh, head to toe. There's not an inch of skin visible. Uh, heavy, thick boots with probably way too many belts uh, and buckles on it. Uh, thick uh, fur-lined coat. That comes off with a hood uh, and a uh, a gas mask like apparatus, a rebreather that just covers his uh, covers his face. And uh, yeah, I, I believe when I walked in, I was I had a, a bow uh, knocked, an arrow knocked and ready. So I'm still have that uh, drawn and pointing out uh, at the group. So you're a water stalker, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, that is correct. Uh, who was asking? Me. And you look at. Although a little bit of a pale and malnourished, uh, what looks to be a, a noble style of person. Uh, Lord Felix Royce, he's tall, he has black hair, objectively handsome even in this ragged state. And as he looks up at you, how many you got? Breathers. Just one, I'm afraid on me. My companion also has one. But, uh,. I'm afraid that's, uh... They're gonna have to stay in my possession. Our possession. Of course. You should stay here if there's a storm. Right. Well, uh... Thank you for your hospitality. Uh, looks like you folks have been here for a while. So, how are you doing on... Ration, food, water? Fresh out. At this point, Nihilus joins and... Uh, gets up, tries to do his hair, which is all over the place right now, even with his mustache, which is all out of curl and way too long and needs to shave. He goes towards this mysterious person and says, 
You're welcome, Sight. You said it was evening. I thought it was morning. Time It's a bit fuzzy. We've been here for a long time. You're, you're welcome, Sight. Friend. Um, we, we, are, we are very short on rations, I'm afraid. But we'll share what we can. Of course. But there's plenty of water. You're more than welcome. You mentioned companion? And behind you, Vander, there is a tap, a familiar one from your companion who is, without words, asking you if it's okay. Look, uh, look I wasn't expecting to find people down here. Uh, this isn't one of my normal stops on my route. Uh, but I can tell you guys, you folks have been in a bit of a rough patch. I, I know these wastes. I know... It's not by good graces that most people find their way out here. So I'm not, I'm not going to ask what you're doing here. But you look like you need help. I, uh, let's make it simple. I'm Nihilus von Stoner, Inquisitor. We're, we're here surviving, really. We've been here for, for weeks, months. I don't know. It's been too long. You're the first sign of hope that we've had in a long time. Please, any hope. We were desperate for it, honestly. And I'm Lord Felix Royce, and the rest will introduce themselves once our new guest is inside. Let's show some hospitality, shall we? Uh, look back uh, to Abby. It's okay. Look, keep an eye out, alright? Stay vigilant. Of course! And with that, she gets in front of you, leans over, Hi, I'm Abby. I don't get to see people out here very often, so I'm really excited. I'm glad... uh, And she looks up towards Vander. I'm glad you're all good people. And she does give you that look of, yes, I understand, and finds a spot in the corner to place her bags and roll out a bed mat. And that's where we will call our break. Let your back 